Good morning, Providence. All right, you're awake. Let's take your Bibles and open them to Luke 24. Luke 24, you can turn them on or you can open them up. Luke 24, 44 to 49. Say a special welcome to our guests this morning. If you are here and our, our guests, or if you're here and you're exploring Christianity and can maybe trying to consider some things about it and maybe you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible hopefully under the chair there we want to give to you. And we'll be on page 885 this morning. And there'll be larger numbers. We'll say 24. And then we'll make your way uh, through that. And you'll find a smaller number that's 44. And we're going to be reading 44 to 49 this morning. And so, again, say a special welcome to you. My name's Dave. I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors. Uh, Dave and our lead pastor is overseas in the Middle East doing ministry. And so we'll be uh, praying. We have prayed for him. We'll continue to pray for he and George and their wives. And so this morning, here's what I, I want to do. We're going we're gonna to take three weeks to step away from Romans. Now, if you've been with us, you know we've been walking through Romans. Romans has been walking through us. Um, it's been an incredible book. Um, but we're going to take three weeks to prepare uh, to look at our master plan, which is, will be presented in totality on May 17th. So Sunday, May 17th, three weeks away, we'll, we'll look at our master plan. This is sort of the trajectory for the year. Um, it's, a, it's a sweet time as a church to, to gather, to think through these things of, of our mission and our, our purpose and how, how we get where we know and believe God is taking us. Now, <clears throat> I will tell you, <clears throat> for the summer, for the summer, we, we will be looking at Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, right? We'll spend two weeks in each of those chapters. There'll be a few uh, in-between standalone messages. Uh, and then we'll take four weeks to look uh, at evangelism. We're going to do a series on evangelism and just kind of think through life on mission a little bit deeper. As we go into the fall, our life classes, we'll be walking through some things with life on mission as well. Then in August, we're going to come back and then don't go away for the summer. I mean, stay with me through the summer. And then August, we'll go from Romans 9, which is a great book, a great chapter, to Romans 16 through December, okay? Uh, so that, that's where, where we're going. I personally wanted to be in Romans 8 all summer. Personally, if you know anything about Romans 8, it's glory, <laughs> glory. But what, that's what we're going to do. So we'll walk through it. So this, um, this morning, what I've got the, the joy to do is to think through a few things because six months ago... We as a people called Providence launched Vision 220, right? We launched it in the fall. Uh, God's doing some amazing things. And in essence, right, we are focusing for two years with specificity in three areas to prepare for the next 20 years. We walk through that. We unpack that. Maybe you're new. You didn't hear about that. But we're in the middle of Vision 220, Right, six months in or so, and really it's, it's two years well, with specificity in three areas to prepare for the next 20 years. Now listen, understand that this vision is simply to strengthen our mission. Right? Our mission um, is simple and yet, uh, yet it's profound. It will not change. It, it states it, this is the way we state it, to glorify God by introducing all people to Jesus, right? We want to introduce all people uh, to the ends of the earth that don't know him, to Jesus Christ, and then grow them up to love and worship him. This, this is our, our mission. This is what we're about. <clears throat> and so in this, and you, you can even go <clears throat> the Cliff Notes version, the, the sim- simpler version of that is just to glorify God by making disciples, right? That, that, that's what we're about as a people, 
a church, to bring glory to God by making disciples. So in this season uh, and life of our church, Vision 220 simply helps us to focus in such a way to accomplish the mission with greater impact, okay? That's what's going on. And so one of the components of Vision 220 was to strengthen current ministry. And so this morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at two truths that will strengthen our resolve to reach our world with the gospel. That's where we're going this morning, okay? So two truths that will strengthen our resolve to reach our world with the gospel. And so let's look at Luke 24. Read this, and then let's get into it. Luke 24, verse 44. Now, the context, right? This is post-resurrection. Christ has come back from the dead. He walked on the road to Emmaus with these two guys whose eyes had not been opened to who he was was. And as they're walking, he shows up, walks with them, hangs out with them, opens their eyes, does a Bible study with them, in essence, um, explaining the Old Testament uh, and what it said about him, right? Then he appears to the disciples where they're there in verses 36 to 44. There's some doubts in their hearts. I mean, it's in a pretty intense weekend for the disciples, right? You're, the guy you're following is killed on Friday. He's in a grave on Saturday. What, what are you thinking, right? So they've gathered together. They probably, they're, they're, they probably want to kill them as well. And so he appears, shows them the hands and the feet. He says, you can touch it and see I'm here. I've come back like I said I was going to do. By the way, give me a piece of broiled fish, <laughs> And he eats it. All right, how good is that? Not fried, deep fried, right? He's on a healthy eating thing. And so he eats some broiled fish. And then he says to the disciples in verse 44, look what he says. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Father, we read this word and we're overwhelmed by this word. And I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts this morning as we think through these things together. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the reasons, right, we continue. We continue to anchor our feet in God's mission. What God is doing in our day and in our time, what he is doing. We are joining him on his mission. We are not coming up, we're not whiteboarding strategy and then having God fit in to our strategy, right? God, God is redeeming people from every tongue and tribe in the world. He's using people, he, he's, the gospel comes to a people and then through a people. And so he is redeeming a, a people, for himself, for the praise of his name. And so we join that. And the temptation and the tendency for many churches is to drift away from their purpose. Right? You think about when I go on vacation, when you go on vacation down at the beach, right? And you go out there and I go out there with all four of my kids and I'm out there, I'm, I'm, I'm in the ocean and I'm, I'm giving mama some, a little breathing time, right? She's back up 
up on the beach and she's reading a book or doing something, taking a nap. And, and I'm out there making sure the four don't drown. Right. And, and, and then I, I look up because uh, I'm, I'm at the water. I'm just playing. And I look up and, and mama's gone. And I'm like, well, I, I'm giving you some time to take a nap. And then you, you just go leave me out here in the water with all of it. And, so, and not only she got, she's taking the cooler, all the drinks. And, the, and I'm like, what in the world? What's up with this? This is some marriage crisis, right? And, and, so, and, so, so it's a, it's a, and then I realized I just kind of go about maybe three, 400 yards down the beach. And I see she's down there. And I'm like, look, I know she needed some rest. But why would she move down the, and to be away from us? What's wrong? And then, and then I'm starting to realize I'm lining up right, the, the place right behind her, the fence and stuff. I'm like, well, no, she didn't move. And then I'm looking, and I'm, the current has just moved us, right? This is what happens, right? The, the current's moved us all the way down, and I'm thinking that she moved. And, actually, and this is what happens when you, when you move. The current of the culture is so strong that it can move you, and you not even know it, right? It, it, it can move you. In such a way, it can move you away from the centrality of Christ and who he is. It's just subtle. It's just subtle. It's what you drink in every night in media, right? It's what you drink. It's just, and before you know it, you, you, and, and you're thinking, man, why did God move so far away from me? And the reality is you've moved from him because he doesn't change. He doesn't move. And, and so, so as you think through this, I'm, I'm thinking about this book, read through this book now called Mission Drift by Peter Greer. Listen to what he, he writes. He says, consider the 1636 founding of Harvard University and its mission statement. Listen to what it says. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. This is their mission statement. The, the, the diplomas, their diplomas have in Latin these words, truth for Christ and the church. Now, research that. I don't have one of those diplomas. Let's clear that up, okay? I just want to clear that up real quick. I researched that. I don't have, that's not on my diploma, right? Because I don't have one from Harvard. <laughs> so, so, so even today, right? Even today, there's, there's little evidence that suggests this school is distinctly Christian. Even 80 years after this mission statement was written. The school was founded. Um, there's some pastors in the New England area that, that felt Harvard was drifting from its core mission statement. So they rallied together. They began to present this vision to a philanthropist who's financially wealthy, um, Mr. Yale. And so in 1718, there's a new school that's started called Yale University. And unlike Harvard's motto, that was simply veritas, which is the Latin for truth, these pastors added the word lux et veritas, which is Latin for light and truth. They, they just didn't want them to move. They, they felt like we've got, we've got to be more robust about these things. These pastors were hoping they would avoid the drift they saw in Harvard. And yet today, neither of these schools resemble these robust truths of the gospel. Matter of fact, the president, um, Larry Summers from, at Harvard from 2001 to 2006, in a speech he gave, he says, things divine have been central neither to my professional nor my personal life. And I could go through churches in our city that have strayed from this book and the mission that God has laid out in this book. 
that have strayed and drifted. I actually called one recently, some few miles from us here as we gather, and just asked them a simple question of uh, doing some research on churches in our city. If they believed in the exclusivity of Jesus, is Jesus the only way to God the Father? And they would not answer it. And so Providence, listen, for our, our vision for the next two years is set to help us accomplish our mission and that there would be no drifting. And so this morning, two truths, really quick. Two truths that will strengthen our resolve to reach our world. Here's the first one. Number one, without a vision from Christ, the church will cave to cultural preferences. Without a vision from Christ, the church will cave to cultural preferences. Notice in 44 and 45 how clear Jesus was with his disciples, how these words, he comes, he's laser sharp, if, is he not? When he says, these are my words, that, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, this is the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. What he's saying, he is saying that in essence, from Genesis 3, right, all the way through, that this book is about me. What he's saying, that, that it's, it's not saying that there's many ways to God the Father. He, he's actually being loving in the fact that there's one way. That, that God hasn't left us and abandoned us. That he has sent his son. There is a promise that comes in Genesis 15, Genesis 1 and 2. You've got creation. You've got a great thing going, right? Husband, wife, walking around in the garden, naming the animals, right? Naked, unashamed. No, no guilt, no shame, just enjoy life. And then the one thing that God told them not to do, they did. He did they didn't focus on the hundreds of things they could do. They focused on the one thing they couldn't do. And then sin and chaos comes. And yet, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of God's sin, I'm going to have to kick you out of the garden. And the death penalty will be established on all of humanity. But I'm going to provide clothing for you. And then there's a promise some theologians call the first gospel in Genesis 3.15, where he says, I'm going to send one, though, that's going to make this right. And this is good news because Jesus is the fulfillment of that. I mean, if there's any Bible study that I would have loved to have sat in the corner and listened in on, it would probably have been this Bible study. This Bible study where the king himself is explaining all of this Old Testament, because sometimes we think this isn't our Bible. This is our Bible, all of it. And, and it's pointing to the Messiah. And he's saying the Messiah has come. That although we have rebelled against him, he has sent his son to live the life you and I could not live and take the wrath of God upon himself instead of us having to endure that. We wouldn't endure that, by the way. And, and so the Savior came, and by his blood on the cross, he, if you repent and believe and trust in him, you can be made right. We got declared right, justified by God. And this is good news this morning. So he's laser sharp with what he's saying. He's explaining all of the Old Testament. I love the way Tim Keller, a pastor, theologian, writer of our day that's serving the church very well this, this, this time and day in the church. He says, in essence, um, about Jesus in the Old Testament. He, he, he goes through this, and stay with me, I'm going to read some of these, but how, how he phrases it, it, it just, it, it's, it's sweet to the soul to hear. Jesus, he says, is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, 
who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of God forgives those who portrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Listen, church, Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though he, they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Oh, listen, Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. This book is about Jesus. This is what Christ was doing with these guys, pointing out all of these stories that we love and that we teach and that sometimes we miss the point of. Oh, he's opening their minds. Look at verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. He doesn't open their minds to understand culture. He, he, the scripture helps us understand the world we live in, the story God's writing. It's called history. Look, the, the book, let the book interpret culture, not culture interpret the book. When cultural preferences trump the book, you lose the book. This is what he's doing. He's teaching, is he not? So this is why we love the book here. This is why we don't stand over the book. We sit under the book. We, it's much like the FBI agents, right? As they train their agents to understand counterfeit money, they, they train them in studying the real thing so they can identify Counterfeit. They don't spend all their time studying counterfeit money so that they know the real thing. They, they study the real thing in order that they could easily identify counterfeit money. Right? This is what's going on. I was doing college ministry for some 15 years. I remember one particular chapel service I went to of a local school here in the city. And they were kicking off the year with um, a, a, a chapel service, probably three or 400 folks there. And I remember this particular um, pastor uh, stood up. He was using this text. He used this text and his application from this text was for this year, freshmen, as you enter into this, this college, you need to have open minds. I'm like, buddy, that's, that's, that's not the point of the text. <laughs> that's not the point of the text to just have open minds. No, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to see who he was and what he will do. Listen, without a vision from Christ, the church will cave to cultural preferences. Notice what will happen. Chaos will always come. Chaos will come. We see that now rising up in cities over racial tension. And the church needs to have a word for racial tension, right? And that word is hope found in Christ. 
right? Ephesians addresses this with in depth of understanding how the gospel, how before we spend all our energies trying to reconcile among one another, there's a reconciliation that has to be done with our father, with, with God, with our maker, with the creator universe that makes this right and then serves this here. I remember the song growing up. I love it. And it's got theological truth. It's simple. It rhymes. It's got great theological truth, right? Red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight, right? All created in the image of God. Yes, all destined for hell, less being rescued by King Jesus. Oh, there's, this chaos will come. Confusion will increase, Right? Confusion will continue to increase. You think about sexuality and the confusion, the state of confusion our culture is in. And, and yet, the, let, people want to answer. Right? You've got this tension going on. The AD Bible series comes out, and it's, the numbers are off the charts of those that are watching that. And then you have Bruce Jenner right, being interviewed the other night on 2020 that had an extra 10 million watching on a Friday night at 10 o'clock on 2020. This is this polarization of our nation that's coming, the, the confusion of who, who, who God is and who he's made us to be. And then to think that, that he, he would with, withhold pleasure and joy from us, that he's some killjoy God. C.S. Lewis says it well in, in this idea of making sure that we don't conform to our culture, right? He says we try to find ourselves in the world, but, but all the while the world is finding itself in us. God says, listen, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And yet 2 Timothy 4 says that the time is coming, and folks, it's come when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And this is why we are anchored in the book. This is why we sit under the book. Proverbs 28, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Another way to say this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. And so you think about this, to be restrained, is, is, that, is God holding us back? I mean, think about the, the idea of of, of where, where, where there is no vision, where there's no purpose in life, where there's no direction in life, right? That the, 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 the people cast off, they're, they're actually restrained by that. But if you, cast that, if you cast that off, if there's no vision, you cast that off, then preferences just come. That people will actually form um, societies where, where they'll, they'll hire folks to teach what their itching ears want to hear. Right? To, to, be, to be restrained is actually good. Don't think, think about this. I mean, think about this, right? If you've got two folks and they're about 15,000 feet, um, they're, they're, they're going to be doing some skydiving. And as they get up there, one feels restrained and restricted by all the, the cords around their body because of the parachute. And they go, you know, I want to take this off and jump. And then one is restrained and restricted by the parachute and they both jump out. And, and for the first 10,000 feet, one feels probably a lot more freer than the other. One's probably enjoying it a lot more. It's just the air is flowing. You move, you move about 120 miles an hour, right? And, and you're just flying, and, and, and yet it's, the ground's getting a little closer, right? But for a season, because there's no restriction, they're deceived to think this is the best way. And when God, when God, see, see one, one leads to death, one leads to life, when God lays out vision and restrictions, he's, he's not holding out on us. 
This is why we lay out biblical worldviews for gender roles and biblical worldviews for how to live in his world that he created. We do this with humility. We do this with gentleness. But we do this with conviction. So are you as a people who make up providence caving to the cultural preferences? Are you all in with the vision to make disciples and the mission to make disciples, to be strengthened to make disciples? Listen, this, this is the, the truth that will strengthen us, that without, without a vision from Christ, the church will cave. But listen, here's the second truth this morning, quickly. With the victory, with the victory in Christ, the church will continue to carry the gospel to all peoples. With the victory in Christ, the church will continue to carry the gospel to all peoples. Notice what he says in verse 46 and 47. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name. In his name. This, this is the, the victory, right? This week Christ would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So in one weekend, he takes care of the sin problem in both the cross and the resurrection. In one weekend. This is the victory the disciples were going to anchor their life in to turn the world upside down. Uneducated, no Harvard degree there. Uneducated, fishermen, 11 men, 12 men. One would be on an island, the other 11 probably killed. And they would turn the world upside down that 2,000 years later, in May on a Sunday in Raleigh, North Carolina, we're talking about these things. The, he, the, the, the resurrection, he would rise from the dead. The, it, and then he, this is why he would say, he would say when he was on the cross, he would say, it is finished. Past tense, right? Now, listen, I'm coaching some middle school boys right now in basketball, which is um, an absolute blast, but it's, 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 it's just, it's just, it, we're having a, a good time. It's, it's a good season. Too. We just finished regular season yesterday, undefeated, right? So tournament's next week. Now I'm reminding the guys, listen, there's another team called Kentucky that was undefeated, right? So, so let's not get this one game at a time, right? One game at a time. And it's interesting as we, as we rally together, and, and, and I love getting to huddle them up, and we clap it up, and we get fired up, and, it, and then we, we come in, and j- just about every time from halftime to the end of the game, we fist pump, we get in, and we get ready to shout loud, right, finish. But we never shout, it is finished. We never do that in the past tense, because we don't know the outcome yet, right? Now, we want the outcome to be good, but we shall finish strong. All these verb tense that indicates we're not sure or certain what's going to happen. We hope something's going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen. When King Jesus dies on the cross, he doesn't say, finish, like y'all finish what I started. He finished what he started, right? This is, this is what's happening, right? I think about Michael Green, who's a friend of Providence, and now back over in England teaching and planting churches and strengthening churches, but he would always share the gospel, and he would tell us this. He's 84 years old, and for 60-some years and sharing the gospel, he, he, would, always, he would always say, he, he would always be shocked when folks didn't believe when he would share because of his anchoring in the finished work of Christ. See, for us, especially in the West and the church, we're shocked when they do believe. He's shocked when they don't believe. Are you kidding? This is the greatest news ever. We, I mean, we, we carry the gospel to all peoples with a sense of anxiety 
right? Rather than confidence. What, not sure about the victory, right? And he's reminding us in this statement, it is finished, that the victory is secure. We have a posture oftentimes, right? You think about the posture that, 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 that folks had. Let's just go Duke, Wisconsin, right? NCAA championship. You, you've got the, the second half, those Wisconsin fans posture, right? The emotional roller coaster. The emotions were up. They're up nine with like eight minutes to go. I mean, they've got it. They, it, it, they just got to finish, right? They just got to finish it off. And, and, and so the emotion, and, and, and Cameron Indoor, right? The screens are up. Students at Durham, I mean, they're just downcast, right? Made it all the way. Probably most of the guys are one and done. Are we going to have another chance? All these things are going through their mind. And then dude comes in off the bench, starts lighting it up. Right Over in Durham, it's getting a little louder. Right? Wisconsin is getting a little quieter. Right? This emotional roller coaster because they're not sure of the outcome. And, and there's this tension that goes. And also, this is the tension we have in sharing the gospel oftentimes. We're just not sure of the outcome. Right? What's, what's gonna, we're, we're going back and forth. And I think it would be better if we had the posture right? Of like when I watch uh, ESPN classics, right? You, you watch the ESPN classic, right? I love watching this one, especially this, uh, this picture back in the day with uh, the Wolfpack um, in 1983. Now they have to keep showing that one because it hadn't been one since, but I mean, I love you. It's all right. It's okay. All right. Come on now. And, and, and so, and so they, they go, but, but it wasn't crazy. It's like nine games in overtime, 10 games by one point. I mean, you, you've got Sydney and Thurl and Derek, and I was a huge state. I grew up in Virginia. I was 13 years old when this game was going on, and I was, I was into it. I had the state lamp, the trash can, and, and all, all these things, right? And, then, and you think about this, when they show it on ESPN Classic, this next picture, right? I mean, the, they almost lose the ball. Wittenberg gets it. Uh, it's four seconds left. I mean, how you, this, he's, he's eight, ten feet behind the three-point line. He's not going to, how's he going to hit that? So he slings it, and with one second, right, what happens? You know, Lorenzo catches it, boom, slams it, and there's shock, I mean, Coach V's on the, I mean, they come out with, I had the bumper sticker on my truck, right? Move over, Dean, Coach V is king, right? <laughs> How cheesy is that, right? Uh, but I had that bumper sticker on my truck, 66 Chevy, three on the column, had it on there. And listen, listen, it was, it was amazing. And I did, but, but when I watch that now, when I watch that now, I cross my legs. Right? I mean, I just, I drink a Diet Coke, some chips and salsa. No anxiety. You know why? Because I know who won. Right? Fold the legs. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> right? There's a deep calm. They're not chaos. There's a deep confidence that comes. Right? And Christ has said, he has proven what he's accomplished in the resurrection. He says, it is. This is why Paul, right? Paul, I mean, he, he trash talked death, right? I used to enjoy trash talking on the court. He, he trash talks death in 1 Corinthians 15. says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? When, you, when, there's, when, when there's victory, right? When victory is certain, the vision is clear. He says in 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name. To all be, so it's in his name that salvation is found. It's repentance where you turn and you place trust and faith. This is for us and it's also for those who don't know him that we place our trust in him and forgiveness comes, freedom comes. We are witnesses in verse 48 of this 
message. Tim Keller says it again like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the same very, the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. And then he says in verse 49, look at 49, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Think about this. Listen, as we persevere in prayer, this is what they did. They persevered in prayer. The Holy Spirit was sent upon them and, and just um, it turned the world upside down. And what is, is interesting about our day and time, like the spirit, we, we don't have to necessarily wait now. We have to pray. Well, yes, we have to pray, but we have access to the power in the spirit because the spirit has come. We're not waiting for him to come at Pentecost. He has come. And so oftentimes, right, we, we think about the power of the Spirit of God, um, of, of how do you tap into that? It's, it's like us sitting in a dark room waiting for someone to event electricity when all we've got to do is flip the switch, right? And to pray. And, and, the, and, the, and there's a promise that he'll be with us. There's a promise that he'll go before us. There's a promise, there's a promise in Matthew 16, 18 that he says, I, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And let's understand that real quick, right? Most people take this text and they go here, they go, let's, let's build a gate around our, our, our Christian bubble and let's just, let's just hang out at Panera with a bunch of Christian friends and do a bunch of Bible studies and just stay. And I'm not against Bible studies. Hear me this. Don't send me an email. If you do, send it to davidhornertpray.org. So, so what you do, you, you end up, you end up, you build it, you've got this bubble, and then you want to put a gate up around it. And you don't want anybody, the culture, to mess with us. You don't want anything like this. And the text is just the opposite of what it's teaching. What it's teaching is there's a prince of the air named Satan who sets up gates around cities. He takes them captive to these cities, and he sets this wall around them. And, and there's walls around cities. There's strongholds. There's demonic realm. You go to the Middle East. I've been to the Middle East. And you step off the plane. You feel it physically. Right, And what he's saying is that the gates of hell, when he said, won't prevail. So the gospel's coming. The gospel's advancing. You're preaching the gospel. You're sharing the gospel. You're living life on mission. And the gospel's going to take those walls down. And conversions will come. Churches will be planted. And the king will return one day. This is what's going on. Right? This is what's going on. We're not sitting back. We're not going to do a bubble and build a gate. No, the gospel is advanced. From Acts 28, the text says it's unhindered. Right, 11 of the 12 were martyred. One was put on an island and it's still advanced. It's made it to many of your hearts and heads and ears and it's transforming your life. And Matthew 24 says that when all have heard, the end will come. Listen, this is where providence hit it, right? We, listen, we want to see the end come. And so we are a people who are living life on mission to get this good news to all people. So listen, we come to this table. We come, this is one of my favorite meals of the month with you. We come to this table this morning. We come humbly, but we come reminded of the victory of Christ and what he has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. We come being reminded that in the victory of Christ, churches are being planted. Our church in that plant that we're partnered with in Netcast up in Boston, right? We're Harvard, just miles down the road from, from Harvard University, right? You end up, our, our friend Matt Tuning sends me a text the day after Easter where they started with about 20 people some three, four, five years ago. And, and they're having about three or 400 folks come. And on Easter, 1,100 showed up, right? I mean, just crazy. 3% church 
in the Boston area. Or, or think about just in a few weeks, some of our college students are going to take off out to Portland, Oregon and partner for six weeks uh, with a church plant to strengthen their efforts to live on mission. Right? Or think about Toronto, our church plant with Mike and Missy uh, and Daniel up there, the team up there, a t- city of 7 million, 1% evangelical. And God's opening the door for a new place to meet right downtown to preach this gospel. Think about what God's doing in London with partnerships where it's probably 1% church and yet there's a resurgence of preaching of the gospel and sitting, not standing on this word, but sitting under this word. I'll think about the Middle East where two of our pastors are right now, training pastors from 27 countries that, that for the most part, they have to sneak to church, go underground to church. They can't amplify things. They can't stream things. They can't record things because their life would be marked and probably death would be sooner than later. And they're coming into this seminary one by at a time, two at a time to sneak, come in and then be trained with biblical ex, exhortations to go back and continue the mission in some really hard places. Or think about tonight. Tonight when you lay down and you go to sleep, that God, through the preaching of the gospel, will save 10,000 in China. You, you can't stop this gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. Listen, don't waste your life on trivial things. Invest it in the kingdom of God for the glory of God and for the usher and the return of the king. This is why he's redeemed us. He saved us to send us. Right. And our prayer is that you be strengthened this morning in the sending. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. We come humbly to this table asking you to remind us, God, of what you've accomplished in your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.